Welcome to The World Awaits. Travel tales to inspire your wanderlust. I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer. And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist. And we're your weekly co-hosts. Welcome back. How's everyone's week been? I've been starting to get out and about a bit more now after my surgery. Oh my God, Belle, it feels like it's been forever. Um, <laughs> I know I, no one probably wants to hear about it because it's so depressing. But um, yes, I had surgery and it's been a really long road. And I've really only just started after like six weeks walking um, a little bit. So anyway, now that I've started getting out and about, I'm so looking forward to Christmas. Uh, gosh, it feels like it's just around the corner. Um, it is. That's because it is. I know, right? Uh, I don't know where this year's gone. Um, but uh, what are you doing for Christmas? I am taking the boys back to New Zealand for a short trip. I'm going to go to Waiheke Island, which is the island I keep going on about, mm. um, which is 45 minutes by ferry from Auckland. It used to be where um, all the kind of alternatives lived, and now it's very hipster and there's lots of wineries and beaches. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And then we'll be spending... Um, Quite a bit of time down at Phillip Island. What about you? Uh, we are hanging out down on the Mornington Peninsula, um, and we'll be talking about that in our new summer series, which we'll give you the rundown on in a couple of weeks' time. This weekend, I'm up in Sydney. I'm hanging out at the refreshed Manly Pacific Hotel right on the water. It's also the um, uh, the Australian Travel Writers uh, um, Society of Travel Writers awards and um oh yes and you're up for oh god i swore i wouldn't say anything about it because yeah anyway just to you know not to bust your hearts but um and the other thing do you know what i'm going to go see as well um i'm going to go see the new ramses exhibition at the australian museum so cannot wait to tell you about it it's just opened it's supposed to be breathtaking it's about um one of the pharaohs that is think is possibly more interesting than you know tutankhamun he was you know, dead by the age of 19 or so. Ramses lived forever, had a gazillion children. He was the master of propaganda. And I'll tell you a bit about that that um, exhibition when I see you next week. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, amazing. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, well, before we get into our travel and tell this week, uh, I did also want to mention that we're now also on TikTok and YouTube. Yay! <laughs> so you can... Um, you can look for us at the world awaits there. I mean, obviously, but you can see us, you know, because because we're actually doing some face to face video. God help me! Anyway, <laughs> God help me. I was still in recovery mode, hiding my um, hiding it all behind some makeup. But um, but yeah, no, you can see us there, which and uh, and we will keep putting some sort of snippets about the show. Um, and we've also launched um a Kofi link, which is basically it's a sort of it's a sort of coffee, coffee, it's pronounced coffee. coffee, you're right. Um, and it's a sort of a tip jar sort of system where lots of creatives use it as a way to sort of help fund the show. So if you feel like giving us just a little bit of love for like $5 or something, I think that's why it's called coffee. It's, it's yeah. actually spelled K-O hyphen F-I, that's how it's, that's how you look for it. But our our link is K-O hyphen F-I dot the world awaits. And um and yes, and it was actually recommended to us to do this by um, a fellow travel writer friend. Um, thank you very much, Danielle. And and we decided that we would that we would do it because um, you know the production costs and everything. And we want to keep bringing you some really great um, travel inspo. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes. But if anyone feels um, inspired just to give us a little little wee tip, then that would be much inspired. Coffee, yeah. 
So let's get into it this week. Um, one of the big stories, the World Tourism Organization has announced its list of best tourism villages for 2023. This accolade recognizes villages that are leading in nurturing rural areas. It's about preserving landscapes, cultural diversity, local values, and culinary traditions. And 54 villages were selected from nearly 260 applicants. And um, so the aim is to, you know, have development and inclusion in rural areas to stop things like depopulation, you know, young people moving away and never going back, and um, and encouraging sustainable practices through tourism. I don't know. Actually, that doesn't sound like a huge amount of um, applications worldwide, does it? But, no, anyway, but you know, love a good village. I know, I do love yeah. a good village too. But, um, but look, these were the these were some of the top ones, um, and they, and they're not named or listed in any particular order. And we'll put the full list in the show notes. But five Japanese towns made the list, and I guess that's not really surprising given Japan's such a great place to travel to, and it meets obviously a lot of those criteria that uh, if you just mentioned, Bell. I mean, obviously, food, culture. Um, and nature and values. Um, so you're going to have to excuse my Japanese pronunciation. Go on. <laughs> it's might end up being one for the bloopers. Right. But a few of those that were featured in Japan are Gabiya in Hokkaido, um, Hikabara in the Japanese Alps, and Okumatushima, which is on Miyota Island. And um, when you look that one up, oh my God, the turquoise waters of the beaches, it, look like, it looks like something out of the French Polynesia. It really is... Quite a contrast to what you expect, you know, and I've been to Japan and the places that I've been to. So um, obviously, you know, varying parts of the country are vast and different from from the rest. So, um, so yeah, stunning. You know, also on the list, um, I noticed a couple that are in Egypt and they've chosen Dashur, which is just outside Cairo. And it's, um, it's fascinating because it's home to some of the country's oldest pyramids. Um, and the other place I've chosen is a place that I have left a piece of my heart, which is Siwa, beautiful Siwa. It's an incredible oasis in the far west, just on the Libyan border. So if you can get there, do it. One of the oracles of the ancient world lived there, and Alexander the Great went to Siwa to find out about his destiny, but we never know what the answer was because he died shortly afterwards. Oh, my God. It, it's just the most incredible place. It's... Um, and you see these these salt lakes in the middle of absolutely nowhere because you see what is an oasis with palm trees and stuff. And then you just go into the Great Sand Sea and, you know, these incredible deserts. This is the Sahara that you're standing on the edge of the Sahara. So I think it's really great because it's so important in places like that to preserve cultural identity. And it is so different to um, this is a Bedouin town that's different to the rest of the country. So I think it's a great choice in this league. Yeah, definitely a worthy, a worthy, a worthy inclusion. But what about in Australia? Are there any? No, no. So there were none. There were none um, in Australia or New Zealand, but obviously a number of European towns. Um, so there was um, Italy, which was um, Leocci, which is part of the Italian Riviera. And Matigas in Portugal, in the heart of Portugal, Sierra Estrella Mountains, and Morcote in Switzerland, which is a little oh, picturesque village. Um, so, yeah, so have, like I said, we'll put the full list in anyway. And um, Oh, there are some others. What are some of the other ones that you had on your list, Belle? Uh, there was a couple in Peru, um, the island of Tequil, which is in Lake Titicaca, um, Pazuzu in its tropical rainforest, Chacas, um, which is on the eastern slopes of the Cordilla Blanca, and um, Chavin de Wantar, which is an archaeological site that I've probably just mangled horribly. And I said, if you did, you, you absolutely incredible. You nailed it. You <laughs> nailed your, you nailed, I heard, like, nailed the fake. 
Um, <laughs> well, after just coming back from Norway fairly recently, I just I honestly don't don't understand why they didn't make the list because they also meet all of those criteria. And uh, oh my gosh, the little villages and towns that we went to were just remarkable. But anyway. Um, I'm sure we've all got plenty to say about, um, you know, and we're all thinking the same thing about other places in the world now. So um, take a look at the link and you can always drop us a line and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And hello at theworldawaits.au. This week, I'm talking to Maria Sykes, who heads up Britain's tourism office in Australia and New Zealand. We bonded over our love of period drama, love a good ball gown, and we're talking about all the new movies and series that are filmed in the UK recently, which are about to open. So stay tuned if you love British drama and you love the idea of going to the places where they have been filmed. Maria, welcome to The World Awaits. It's so awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Belinda. We love talking Britain, so really excited to be part of it. Oh, I love Britain too. You know, I've lived there for years. I'm in and out as much as I can. It's like some some drug that I can't get a fix of enough. And when I can't, <laughs> I watch uh, I watch British TV. So um, so, and I'm so excited that you know, film tourism is such a thing in the UK. You know, show me swords, show me sandals, corsets, <laughs> love them all. Not so much on the big bonnets. Thank you very much. Highly impressed. <laughs> Practical gowns on a horse. I'm sold, and and Britain just gives me that in spades. Like, is is film tourism as big as I think it is? Probably bigger. Um, I've I've been um, looking into the facts and stats, and I've been astonished. I knew it would be a thing, but maybe it's a bigger thing than people realise. You know, in just before COVID, it was worth about a billion pounds, not far off. To, to the British visitor economy. That's just screen tourism. Oh, and my so, goodness. Yeah, and it was over, I think it was over 60% of Australians who'd gone to the UK um, really thinking that locations and landmarks had really strongly influenced their decision to, to choose UK as a destination. So when you look at why that is, you know, like in 22, I think, you know, we often overlook how prolific Britain is as a producer of creative content. In 22 alone, 220 full-length feature films were in production in Britain. Like it's a mind-blowing level of activity, right? And so it really gives people an insight into places that maybe they don't know so much about, you know, beyond London and the honeypots. So, and you see what it does, you know, you look at, they talk in Birmingham about the peaky effect. I don't know whether you got hooked on peaky blinders. but I didn't, I didn't. I, I yeah, I, I was having an emotion. I think I was too emotionally raw for it at the time. So Well, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, right? But you look at what that did to visitation for the West Midlands and a record 131 million people visited uh, from the start to the end of the series like it was an extraordinary success it was a 26% growth off the back of the peaky effect and we're seeing a similar thing with Bridgerton you know uh, you talk about the flouncing and the frocks and the bonnets and so on there's obviously a big appetite for it you know Belinda that's the the Bridgerton factor if you want um, has seen an uplift across all stately homes and Castle Howard for example which is this brilliant gem in North North Yorkshire, it, its visitation grew by over 3,000 
90%. Like it's this mind-blowing level of engagement. So it, it really is a thing and it's, it's a thing of, at scale. It's not a minority sort of niche interest. That's enormous because, I mean, I imagine that um, part of it is uh, part of it is people wanting to go to explore the history, but a, a big part of it too is people just wanting to put on big gowns and be photographed in those positions as well. I mean, Instagram is a really big part of that as well, and I've seen that, you know, all over the world. But, yeah, is there nothing better than a dress-up and... Um, and, and, and to pretend, you know, nobody dresses up as the maid really, do they, if they're doing upstairs, downstairs type comedies. I mean, things like Downton Abbey was astonishing. You know, we're talking about retrospectively. Um, you know, the Downton Abbey effect was, was huge. Um, so I guess coming up this year, um, that, you know, Peaky Blinders, Down, Downton Abbey and those sorts of things, um, coming into the new year is an absolute bumper crop of of places um of, of fabulous destinations around the uk what's your top of the list oh look uh, i must confess my personal favorite i love a flounce and you know britain is very <laughs> flounce friendly home of the flounce yeah. it's a home of the flounce nobody nobody beats us on the flounce uh, and i love bath like bath is very dear to my yeah. to my heart um and, and i think what bath gives you now is a sort of you know uh, hour and 15 minutes just outside london but you've got what i think britain excels at which is um the best of history the best of the old alongside striking modernity and you know if you want to you, you know you've got coming up the crown obviously the the sixth season and there's some brilliant destinations where that's filmed you know this york minster or london of course there's mm. hull um you've got welcome to wrexham of course which most people wouldn't have had any clue about north wales um which is a brilliant place you've got napoleon it's it's the 60th anniversary actually of doctor who um, is it? Oh yes, my goodness! That's also look. That's some of that is shot in in Wales in Cardiff, and and the one I'm really aching for at the moment comes out very soon. Wonka, is uh, the new Wonka is coming out uh, middle of December, and that was shot entirely in Britain. Where um, and what are its main distant? What are the main locations that it's been shot in? Well, the fabulous Bath. Um, you know, it was filmed. Some of it was filmed in Oxford, in the quad of the Bodleian Library in Oxford. You've got oh, Dorset, London, and uh, and the Warner Brothers Studios in Leavesden. So you're going to get a lovely, lovely range of locations there. Oh, sensational! Um, so going back to Welcome to Wrexham, this one less flounce. It, it's it's yes. it's 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 no flounce. So um, I. I actually, I had a bit of a brain melt on it. And then after Googling, of course, this is Ryan Reynolds' um, football drama, isn't it? So is it, should I tune in? Um, you know, my husband loves football. I'm like, yeah, you know, is it, is it going to get me um, trekking up to Wales? Well, it's become compulsory in our house. It's, it's absolutely compelling. So it's so interesting that you mention Ryan Reynolds because the joke on the series is it's Ryan Reynolds and that other bloke uh, who's actually Rob McElhenney, who's huge in America, but no one really necessarily has heard of him here. And they, they're a really charming, hilarious, engaging duo. And they've gone, it's, you know, it's a classic underdog story. Wrexham, this impoverished working class town in North Wales, has got the oldest international stadium in the world, who knew? 
you. I didn't. No, I don't think anybody did uh, other than people who lived in Wrexham. So they've come in with Hollywood budgets and vision and uh, they've decided to try and help the underdog and really get behind the community. It's absolutely, whether you like football or not, actually, it's really engaging. So I, I will admit my husband forced me and then I fell in love with it myself. So, and, and again, like the numbers going to Wrexham are extraordinary. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, it's incredible. Um, we've been getting pictures of friends that have gone there, you know, hanging out with the local publican and, you know, locals who live there. So you, look, Wrexham is almost cult viewing thing so if you've not got onto it um yeah it's, oh, it's worth a look i'm totally signing up and um and in scotland everybody's going up there because it's the final season of outlander which if yeah. if you um if frogs don't get it for you then you can whack a kilt on for this one so are, are they filming it back in because it, this has been all over the place you know it it started off in scotland then they had that paris section which was you know big gowns and then um everything was a bit miserable when they went over to america in the civil war and stuff like that Did, are they back in scotland for the last one yes and they've also moved south of the border to two new locations they've um a lot of it was shot in chester and liverpool oh nice okay yeah yeah, so I, I know I've got um, friends addicted to that one too. So, um, yes, you've, if you you can be a flouncer, you can be a, a sword wrangler, um, or you can, you know, if you're a bit more stylish than the flounce brigade, you could think about, you know, following the fashionable footsteps of Thomas Shelby and Peaky Blinders. He's become something of a fashion icon, you know. Or James Bond, you might be so cool that you're more of a James Bond person. But whatever those film and TV franchises you can really immerse yourself in it there's so many brilliant immersive experiences to unpack it rather than just going to the location and taking a picture you know Belinda so um with those immersive experiences can you go to different destinations can you hire the outfit or um what sort of what sort of experiences can you have if I wanted to um you know if I wanted to jump into the uh, say Bridgerton or something like that what sort of what sort of things can you do oh, there's some really brilliant experiences so you can explore the sort of fashionable life of 18th century Georgian Bath at this uh, restowned townhouse museum on the Royal Crescent, you know, that famous curved buttery yellow sandstone building. And it, that was the home in, of the Featheringtons in, in Bridgerton. Um, and the whole museum has been decorated and furnished just as it would have looked during the period in the late 1700s. Um, you've got Hampton Court Palace. Now, I mean, brilliant at all times right the yeah. former home of Henry VIII of course and the on-screen opulent residence of Queen Charlotte and that's in Richmond so easy hop um, in London and the Blenheim Palace which obviously the backdrop for a huge number of blockbuster films Harry yes. Potter, James Bond, Indiana Jones you name it uh, and Bridgerton spin-off Charlotte and you can do their lights, camera, action trail, which I haven't done. And it's on my bucket list because people rave about this. And afterwards, you can dine like a Bridgerton with a very beautiful afternoon tea in their orangery. In the orangery, yes. Yes. Oh, how um, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Um, but also, if you go to the Peaky Blinders, there's a... You can follow the sort of life of a peaky in the Black Country Living Museum where you don't just sort of walk around and look at dusty artefacts. No, you meet the costumed characters and they pop out at you and you explore the industrial landscapes and the houses. But, you know, it's a really immersive experience. 
or you can actually visit the locations where where Piggy was shot, which is actually Liverpool. Did you know? Not Birmingham, controversially. Okay, no, so, I did not know that. No, really? Did they, that would have created a bit of biff between the two, wouldn't it? Well, probably. But you, I, I guess those Docklands of Liverpool are so perfect, right, for, yeah. for that for that setup. Um, but you know, when we're talking about immersive experiences. Um, James Bond is is a brilliant thing to think about here because you can you, you can take to Scotland's Cairngorms National Park, um, which is an absolutely unequivocally exhilarating place to look at. You remember the the dramatic car chase through that that region, or yeah. you could get yourself into. There's a really brilliant experience at Silverstone where, believe it or not, you can drive an Aston Martin. You can actually be Bond at Silverstone, get a bit of an F1 James Bond fix in one go, if you like. Um, oh, my goodness, because I've hiked them, which is far less um, glamorous, can I say? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, I mean, there was no glamour about it, you know, three days of hiking through the Cairngorms. <laughs> it's very wild and, and incredible landscapes in it's there. Just oh, incredibly rugged, amazing, which you don't often think about. Um, in the UK, that sort of experience, and and a lot of the things that we're talking about, you know, the Crown and things like that, are are, are very genteel. Where are you heading to next time you head over, and are you going to have a film experience while you're there? Well, you know, I am because I, I'm I'm a <laughs> self-confessed Potterhead. I love Harry Potter, and there are so many brilliant ways to experience. It. Even if you're just you know rocking up to King's Cross Station, I didn't realise there was really a platform nine and three quarters there. I did it. Hearing luggage, yes, I did it in April with my with my eleven year old. Yeah, and it's magical, right? Absolutely, and you get and you get a, what the amazing thing is you you can get a photograph of you leaping through the yes. wall. And it's just something because a lot of the Potter experiences have come under fire because they're so expensive. This is just something that is happening for free. You can have your friend take your photo. You can buy the photo. Um, I really recommend it, especially, well, with or without children. There are a lot of people without children in that queue for that photo. Absolutely right. (laughs) That's so true. The the top of my bucket list right now, and this will sound very silly, um, but uh, a friend of mine who's a self-confessed cynic about sort of tourism experiences went and confessed afterwards it was the highlight of his whole experience through the UK. You can take broomstick flying lessons at Annick Castle. Which no. is, you know, Hogwarts. Yeah, absolutely. And or you can make a magic potion cocktail making class. But the the broomstick flying lessons that's absolute sitting number one on my bucket list. Uh, and you, <laughs> if if you're not going up north, then you still want to. Uh, or sort of wizardy fix. There's the Wizard Exploratorium in London, which is, everyone tells me, brilliant. But the other thing up there on my bucket list, more Potter, is the Warner Brothers Studio Tour in London. And everyone who goes there says it's the best thing ever. So that's, really? that's my next art in Britain must-dos. I have an impossible bucket list in Britain since I took over this this gig, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I'm going to make sure I do is Secret Cinema, because I think Britain really does this better than anyone and secret cinema yes have you heard of this it's extraordinary you step into these sort of you know the iconic worlds of screen through the this kind of incredibly immersive experience so they work with film studios to recreate the worlds that you've seen in live immersive theater 
Did, did they do a Bridgerton one a couple of years ago? Yes. Yes. A, a few friends of mine went. So you don't know where you're going and you get the invitation and you're told your character or your type of character and you have to dress to part. That's exactly right, isn't it? Right. Exactly. And then and then hundreds of people turn up at this at this location and, and are in character. Exactly. And, oh. and actors walk among you and yes. the whole thing plays out around you. Now there's a, a equally mysterious thing on the way that I would love to catch where this coming Christmas you can experience what they're calling the magic of Wishmas, which is this hour long walkthrough experience where you meet festive characters and explore these different magical rooms. So I would love to be there for that. Oh, that sounds sensational. So many, I mean, my bucket list is huge. I can't imagine what yours is like. It's just groaning, groaning. And the Secret Cinema has been on my list for years. You know, they. I think they started with Star Wars and they. And it was the bar scene in the first episode and that was what you walked into. And I thought, oh, I, you know, it, it just sounds incredible. Um, Maria, before you go, I'm going to ask you the question we ask all our guests, which is, what is your most bizarre travel experience? I've given this a lot of thought and and the thing that sticks in my mind, I did um, just before COVID, um, my friend and I decided to do the ultimate dining tour of London and we had some absolutely incredible experiences and I had insisted on including Dans le Noir. Now I don't know whether you've heard of this, at the time there were only three of them in the world and it's where you dine um, in completely blacked out conditions and so you can't see anything that's going on and in fact the, the staff there are all blind so of course they're absolutely brilliant in this environment and the people that go to dine there are befuzzled by what on earth is going on and we found ourselves dining with two strangers who uh, as we were dining and eating this food revealed they were on a first date uh, <gasps> And I thought, what an incredible first date. You've taken someone in the top. And I said, so are you both very ugly? Is that why you've chosen a black room? Well, of course, the whole restaurant just erupted in love. <laughs> Me being so incredibly rude. But, of course, it broke the ice for them. And um, we've kept in touch ever since. So if you've ever dined in the dark, you will know how um, utterly unexpected that is. But but in terms of bizarre experiences, I've got a whole bunch of even more bizarre on my wish list because I've, I've, the box snorkeling is a thing. Did you know box snorkeling was a thing in I, I, I did know. I didn't. I know wild swimming is enormous. Bog snorkeling, I had, I, bizarrely, I had heard of, yes. So tell me, are you going to go bog snorkeling? I'm not going to go bog snorkeling. I'm more of a diner by nature, but I want to watch someone else bog snorkeling. That's what I'm keen on. And I want to do the cheese rolling festival. There are two yes. other, can only be crazy Brits that do this. So you race rolling big cheeses down a hill. Perfect. Um, and man versus horse. Have you heard that one? No, 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 no. Tell me, man versus right, horse. Again, only the Brits can think this up, right? The man versus horse is basically where man, men decide to see if they can beat a horse in a race which just seems like the ultimate folly, right? But, um, it's uh, basically a man v. horse marathon. Really? Um, oh. Yes, they go through a mix of roads and mountains. Yes, crazy stuff. So I've, I've got yet more bizarre travel experiences to come, I think, Belinda. So just tell me on the man versus horse, uh, traditionally, uh, historically, who has won? Well, of course, the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have put a spoiler alert in on that one. <laughs> I think that's what makes it so hilarious. You're so 
doomed to failure. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for adding to my list of, of fantastic things to do. And, and uh, you know, we always love to be in Britain and uh, and to hear the news. And as I said, if you can't, if your budget isn't um, sending you to Britain this year, then there is enough on TV to keep you going for the next five years, I reckon, at least in what's being released in the next couple of weeks. So, Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Look forward to seeing more on TV and hearing more from Visit Britain. Bell's guest was Maria Sykes, head of Visit Britain for Australia and New Zealand. So on your watch list from her chat should be Bridgerton and the Crown and welcome to Wrexham for some Welsh football action. And also don't forget Wonka. For more inspo, see visitbritain.com. You're listening to The World Awaits. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. Our tip this week is the best new wellness hotels you can choose to visit for some R&R at the end of year, and who doesn't need that? Um, the list is compiled by Condé Nast Traveller, and taking top place was actually somewhere you've just visited, Belle, so I'm going to let you talk about that. Where was it? Oh, it was Banyan Tree in Saudi Arabia. Oh my goodness, this is one of the most incredible hotels I've ever visited, and I've seen a few. Um, the hotel pool is now in my top three hotel pools. This uh, this banyan tree is set in Al-Ula, which is an oasis in the northwest of Saudi Arabia. The spa pool is set amongst boulders at the highest point of the property, and watching the sun rise from here is a life-affirming experience. I can also attest to the excellent spa going back to banyan tree's Southeast Asian roots. Its spa therapists are beautifully trained. Most of them are from Indonesia and Thailand. If you have the chance, just go... Go. It's not going to be cheap, but go. Yeah, it, look, the photos looked incredible, just really remarkable, and I'm sure you can put a link to to your story about that. Actually, yeah, because I've just written a piece for uh, Signature Luxury yeah. about it. This one, yeah. Um, so, what else is on that list for Condé Nast Traveller? Also on that list was Wildflower Farms in New York. So that's a 50, 56 hectare or 140 acre, depending what what floats your boat. Um, site that was once a tree nursery and dairy farm and it um, gives you all the feels. It's got a river, verdant countryside with meadows of wildflowers to run through, no snakes, um, <laughs> and, um, and hence the name, loads of wildflowers and woodlands and there are 65 sort of stylish accommodate, varying sort of accommodation styles um, that are all tucked under tree canopies and of course lots of hiking and healing and wellness. And there's also an Australian property on the list, Kirsty, that is Osborne House in Mundanoon in the New South Wales Southern Highlands between Canberra and Sydney. So if you're a fan of the interiors of Soho House, you will love Osborne House. 13 suites that have that same insider feel, bit of English country style with some rustic farmhouse feels. And it also taps into one of the biggest food trends, which is fire cooking. Think whole beasts dangling over roaring fires and you're on, <laughs> and you're on the money. It's like... They, who doesn't want to go see that? <laughs> oh my gosh, just I have no words. Um, and Bali's on the list too, of which won't surprise many. Um, Bohan, it's a banyan tree property in the Central Highlands, and it has a no walls, no doors philosophy. So it's a seamless blend of indoor outdoor. You can just imagine that, can't you? Just picture it like all these villas and fantasy pools and, you know, no walls. You just wander sort of between and see the valley in the background. Yeah, but what about the bathroom? Sorry, I need to hear about the bathrooms because I've been in those, you know, when that had that, that big fad about having bathrooms without walls and stuff. So you, 
I've got to say, it's just not romantic people. I know, I do not. <laughs> so, I bet they've done that design well. Sure, I'm sure it is a few 20, but maybe not at our age. Um, I don't think it is even at 20, but anyway, there's there's only so much you can be in love with somebody. Anyway, so. <laughs> and this is the perfect segue into my interview this week, which is about one of Australia's most respected wellness experts, not the bathroom. Um, so stay with us because you'll hear all about the future of wellness tourism in Australia. This week, I'm interviewing Lyndall Mitchell, author, accredited coach, and founder of Aurora Spa Group and a spa spa products about why wellness travel is in such demand, the types of people seeking it out, and what the future is going to hold. Welcome to the show, Lyndall. Thank you very much for having me. So great to have you with us. Um, let's start by tell us a bit about your background and how you got into wellness travel. Wellness travel. So I um, actually, where I ended up growing up uh, in Corumban Valley, determined the industry that I got into because Australia's first destination health retreat was two properties away from my family farm being Eden Health Retreat. So at the age of uh, 14, I was there doing work experience and back when I was 18 to explore that world and to, um, you know, really work in that space and, and see wellness in action in a destination retreat with all the wellness pioneers that were working there at the time. Amazing. And so um, you went on, you were working there at quite a young age, weren't you? And then you went back there and then eventually started your own business in in St Kilda. So tell us a little bit about that. And I believe that that was a, a bit of a shock to the system at the time. Yes, it was. Look, I, I worked at Eden for five years and whilst I thought the benefits were incredible what they got for the guest, I felt like there wasn't a point where the guests could continue on with what they've learned and have wellness in their um, life for the long term. So I decided that I would move to the stress capitals, either Melbourne or Sydney, which is where all our guests were coming from, and decided to move to Melbourne and create that bourbon retreat where the guests could continue on with what they'd learned at the retreat, but in a way that really integrated into their daily life. So it might be that they're coming into the spa environment once a month, but they're going to the destination retreat once a year. And yes, moving to St Kilda, starting a spa that had massage, you know, in St Kilda was a definite shock to the system after living in such a cocooned world in Corumban Valley all my life. <laughs> and do you think that it's because obviously you were sort of pioneering, uh, um, you know, wellness travel at that stage and people just weren't really aware of what, what the offering was? Absolutely. So people really thought that I was building bathtubs, uh, you know, that was... Uh, what the feedback was, was, you know, what, what is a spa? I mean, we were the first spa in Australia um, at the time in 97. And, you know, there were plenty of spas in Europe and in America, but none here in Australia. So it was definitely a time where people were unsure, you know, what, what do you offer? Is it, is it a bath with bubbles or what is a spa, you know? And around that time as well, being doubled with being in St Kilda, which is known for uh, a different type of massage to what we did, you know, it was, it was quite uh, a steep learning curve for me around, you know, what we were providing for our guests. And thankfully we were able to educate guests around what a spa was and what a full service spa was that was therapeutic and had these results for our guests. And that, that grew over time for people 
understanding what Aspari is as the market developed here in Australia. And and then you've moved to Mornington Peninsula, haven't you? Because um, you've got now a lot more space and you've opened these beautiful European bathhouses. Tell us about a bit about that and why you decided or thought that that might work because no one else is really doing what you're doing there as well, are they? No. Um, look, for me, in 26 years of having the spa in St Kilda, I felt like that was an education piece about what a spa is and how we integrate that into our life for long-term well-being. And then the opportunity came up to purpose build a facility. And for me, I'm inspired by the European um, model of bathing or, or the European therapy of bathing, where it's actually included in their healthcare system and they do it regularly as a part of, you know, improving well-being. So I had the opportunity to purpose build a facility with a spa and a bathing facility. And so for me, you know, we live in a cool climate. So having that indoor bathhouse with the magnesium, which is great for our muscles and helping our stressed muscles relax, was what I felt like the market was ready for. Yes, 26 years ago, there was a whole education piece around the spa, but now I feel like our job is to help um, everyone understand what a bathhouse is because a lot of people now think, you know, is it just one sauna? Is it just one pool? But what it is is a fully immersive 90-minute, um, you know, tranquil indoor oasis that you're journeying through these hydro massage thermal pools and these contrast therapy experiences both in water and without water with essential oils infused so after your 90 minutes you know you can either call it the warm-up to the workout which is the warm-up to the massage or in itself it's a it's a therapy and why do you think because you know wellness travel is just growing so much and people are obviously traveling and coming to um, you know to you at Aurora for for from all over uh, the 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 country and 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 probably the world. What, why do you think that is? Look, for us, we're only an hour and twenty or an hour fifteen from Melbourne CBD. So you know you don't have to get on a plane um, to if you're coming from Melbourne, and you know you can come down here. And what I say to our guests is. If you give us one day of your time, we give you three days in return in the feeling that you will have and the amount of um, restoration you'll feel uh, as well. And you know, similarly, when we run our residential retreat where it's a three-day retreat, you give us three days, we give you seven back in return because that complete time is focused on your well-being. You don't make a decision from the moment you get here and everything has been taken care of. So. Um, I think wellness travel is people going away because people are feeling, you know, exhausted. Yes, there's heaps of benefits and advantages to working from home and to being flexible with technology. But what we do see a lot of is people burning out and people just working so hard that there's no switch off. So going away, people are looking for what we see. Guests are looking for a solution for exhaustion, a solution for stress. Uh, a solution for how they can live their ambitious, successful life they want to lead but not burn out. So um, we're feeling like people are really valuing their health and their wellness. I mean, when I started 26 years ago, wellness was really kept very much under the radar. We didn't really talk about it because it wasn't. It was seen as a bit woo-woo and a bit left of field. Now there's enough research behind it and evidence behind it that people actually can see the benefit of it and they're seeking it out and they're happy to pay for it and they understand the benefit of you know, taking that one day out of their schedule and going back fully recharged and focused and making better decisions and being a better leader um, for whether it's work or at home. 
And you've written a number of books about wellness travel. Tell us, what, how do you think the industry will evolve and sort of what, what does the future of wellness look like? I think it will just be something that is available everywhere we go. I mean, I, I see now my uh, Aurora clients seeking out hotels that have wellness options. It might be a wellness menu or wellness facilities. You know, these sorts of additional things that were just, um, you know, yes, the gym, the hotel has a gym. You know, people are seeking out at what level is this um, property they're going to, you know, make their investment of time to and money is it going to be able to satisfy what they need in order to travel well and to improve their health and well-being? So it's it's a massive industry and globally you see it um, only growing more and more. And and I think there's there's some really incredible therapies and medical science around the types of immersive retreats. You look at some of the ones in Switzerland and the European retreats and the type of um, medical um, services and wellness services that they have, and they're incredibly advanced. And so what, what sort of changes are you seeing in sort of maybe the demographics or geographics of the types of people that are seeking wellness wellness out? Mm, we're definitely seeing more males um, as well. I mean, I think females traditionally in retreats and, you know, spas was always the higher percentage, but we are definitely seeing more males that are really taking more care and um, value, putting more value to their health as well. Um, but you're definitely seeing, you know, for us in the spa area, there's probably a slightly different market to the bathhouse. So the bathhouse is a much more broad market where you have your, you know, 20-year-olds going through to 75 to 80-year-olds as well and all getting incredible benefit from that. So for us, the bathing side is very broad and the spa is you know, quite similar to what it has been um, a lot of the time. But I think there's there's a lot more variety on offer now as well. You know, if you want to do a wellness surfing retreat, you can do, you know, so many beautiful hikes as well that are wellness-based. I mean, there's, there's a lot more variety, which is fantastic because there's an appetite there. People want to have these these healthy holidays and value coming back to their life fully refueled. Do you think the bathhouse is something that will sort of catch on a bit more, uh, you know, and um, have you noticed uh, the sort of changes in the types of people that are coming and seeking? Because I know you were telling me that there, that um, initially you were sort of getting people who were who, Europeans who were homesick coming along to... <laughs> so how's that working? One of my favourite stories, that one. <laughs> yes, it was a big compliment for an Italian to want to come to the bathhouse because he felt like he was um, homesick. So, yes. Um, yeah, so what type of people? I mean, with our, our most frequent guest to the bathhouse is 23. Uh, he is, I think he's up to visit number 26. Yeah. And um, for him, you know, I have asked him a few times, what does it, what does the bathhouse do for you? And he just said, I feel different every time I come out and I love how um, calm I feel and how good it feels for my body. So, you know, you're seeing someone who's really valuing that he works for himself and this is just a part of his wellness plan, bathing regularly. So when you see people that are bathing regularly, they get a lot more benefit out of it, of course, than someone that's just coming once a year. So again, 
trying to encourage our guests the, for the benefit of bathing regularly, whether that's once a month or once a fortnight or for some people once a week. We've also got a lady that's 75 who has um, you know, quite bad arthritis and when she's in the pool, she has no pain at all. So for her, that's a therapy coming in regularly for her joints and to avoid having that pain. So mm. there's two extremes for you and there's lots of people, you know, social bathing, um, your friends coming together and having that time to connect where it's like a healthy thing for them to do together where they can both really switch off and soothe and calm their nervous system but have this connected time uh, together. I think there's, you know, we've been doing sound bathing, we've been doing um, hot and cold contrast bathing where you're learning how to do the, the cold therapy as well. So we've been bringing in lots of different wellness elements into the bath. So um, as a pioneer in this area, what, what, what are the future plans for you? What, where, where are you, um, what, what are you going to be doing next? Lots more barn houses. I think, you know, there's a real market there and, you know, you're already seeing in Queensland, there's some fantastic bathhouses up there and there's more getting built as well. So I think you're going to see, like we did back in 1997, a huge surge in spa facilities across Australia. I think now you're going to see a surge in bathhouse and bathing facilities because people are seeing and feeling the benefit and they want more of it. And so um, I think you're going to see a lot more different experiences when you go to Europe and you try all the different bathhouses that are um, over there. They really provide such diverse experiences. And I think with there's so much more we can do. We've only just scratched the surface. <laughs> All right. Well, it's fantastic um, learning about that. And I really look forward to that, having um, been involved in coming down into your bathhouse myself, which was an incredible experience. So let, we end all of our interviews on this question. What's the most bizarre thing that's happened to you on your travels? Um, <laughs> all my travels, well, probably when I was in Baden-Baden uh, in Germany, and I was, um, I had been to a bathing facility for the whole day and it was just like going to an aquatic center. There were so many different bathhouse experiences and hot and cold experiences. It, it took me a whole day to get through the facility. It was enormous. And then as I was leaving, they said, you haven't been upstairs. There's a whole nother level upstairs. So I went upstairs and as soon as I walked into the reception area, um, which was quite open, I realized this whole area is uh, a repeat of what's downstairs, except this part is nude. <laughs> and so as I was standing in the reception, they're, they're signaling to me, as they were not speaking in English, and they're signaling to me to take my swimsuit off. So where you'd normally put your slides, I had to... Disrobe with my swimsuit oh, and no. pop that to the side and just walk down the middle of the bathing like, you know, there's nothing different going on. Despite <laughs> <laughs> the challenge. That's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Look, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It's fantastic to hear about what the future of wellness holds. And, um, yeah, we look forward to watching, watching what you do um, going forward. So if you are desperate to find the Aurora Spa, which I am, uh, it is located in the Intercontinental Hotel in Sorrento on the Mornington Peninsula, about an hour and a half uh, south of Melbourne, and its spa products are just gorgeous. I can't wait to see what Lyndall does next. So to learn more, head over to auroraspa.com.au.
That's a wrap for The World Awaits this week. Click to subscribe anywhere you listen to your favourite pods. And where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm at Kirsty Writes on Instagram. That's K-I-R-S-T-I-E Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And where can people find you, Belle? You can find me at globalsalsa.com or on Insta at global underscore salsa. Thanks for listening. See you next week.